Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Neil and Kristen Baker Psychic Hour. We apologize for the late start. I'm going to be opening the chat room now. Um, we had some problems with our microphone. I don't know how it got disconnected from our uh, from our browsers, but I was having some problems yesterday as well. Anyway, it's all fixed. Problems with margins and formatting. Problems with microphone. Problems with camera. Is Mercury in retrograde? (laughs) Well, what are your feelings on Mercury in retrograde, Neil? Well, (laughs) I always had a problem with Mercury and those stupid rings on his feet. Mm. Um, I used to do reflexology on them. Well, that's nice. Oh, I we won't get an honest answer out of you. Okay, no. so well, the, let me let me inform the our our adoring public how to reach us today. Nine one four three three eight zero one six four is the call in number. Press one if you'd like to speak with us. Um, that is the phone number. So please give us a call if you'd like to discuss what we're discussing or if you have a question that you'd like answered for a reading, we're here to answer your questions. Again, 914-338-0164. You may follow us on Facebook and on X, formerly known as Twitter, which I did not post to today, and I'm in the process of posting to our multiple Facebook accounts. So follow us there, please. Um, What else? Follow uh, uh, Callie and Olive on Instagram. They have their own page now. <laughs> there's the peanut gallery asking you to follow as well. I don't know. A lot of these cats and dogs seem to do these really exciting tricks. I don't know if we can live up to those expectations, but um Well, the last I heard Callie went out to do some tricks and came back with forty bucks. <laughs> I wish you would. I wouldn't feel too bad about that. We did watch a movie last night. What is the movie what was the movie we watched? The cat. No, we watched Oppenheimer too, but the, we watched Oppenheimer. I would say, you know, I wouldn't be a movie I would waste another three hours on. I definitely wouldn't watch it again if I'd known more before. I wouldn't have watched it at all. Disappointing. Disappointing. Continue. You gave the Smurfs movie four stars. <laughs> right. Well, this movie that we watched last night was not the greatest. I mean, cinematic work, but. 
It was what was a, a cat called Bob, a cat named Bob. Oh, the cat did all. So this homeless gentleman, uh, this homeless gentleman, was getting onto methadone and into uh, safe living in England, and he was also a busker. And he ended up finding a cat. I actually read the book first. He ended up finding a cat in his in his um, outdoor area next to his apartment, thinking that the cat um, belonged to someone else, but the cat was also terribly injured in an abscess on his back leg or something like this. And so the the man tried to reunite the cat with the with its owner, which there was no owner. The cat had no no home, was a stray, and he ended up taking the cat in, and the cat decided he wanted to go busk with him in England, you know, or in London, on the streets, followed him to work, got on to the, um, to the uh, public transportation he was taking the first time this happened, and essentially joined him in his, uh, at his job and resulted in, actually, even the Duchess of Cambridge met the cat at one point. Because this cat is such a was such a remarkable cat, and the cat did his own acting in the movie. I mean, this cat is like I mean an amazing cat. And so, if you're a cat lover, what's going on? Oh, I'm just reading the chat. Um, so anyway, the cat the the cat did its own acting, which I was I didn't know until after the movie. But he was excellent. Cat did a great job. I mean, the movie was really, really trite, and it differed vastly from the book. I mean, they really added a lot of stuff, I think, that was just fictionalized to make it exciting, but it really didn't help but to make the well, movie you know, better. As you give a cat a reward enough, and they understand the routine, they, they adapt really well to following instructions. Because they know they've got the routine imprinted in their mind. And they get a reward. That cat was probably rewarded for some of the things that, uh, things that he or she did. He did. Filming. Yeah. Well, I mean, you saw. I, there were right. some clips I saw on, that he was on a new. He was on a new show with the man that owned him. I hate to say owned because pet pet parent is better. You know, is a better term. But anyway, I'm not using owned really in that in a in a you know slave term. Yeah terminology, but he was, he was doing high fives just in the midst of them conducting an interview. He would do high fives in the middle of the show because it's, you know, was his indication that he wanted the treat and he learned to do high fives to get treats. So, I mean, exactly well, what you're talking about. Into our topic, you know, the idea that the great paradox of life is as soon as we are born, we are in countdown. If as we live, we die. Every day brings us more life, and every day brings us closer to death. So the great paradox of life is that as you live, you die. And we don't really think of it that way, but well, some it of us is do. a great countdown. Some of us do. Now, considering how we advance that into a higher form of, of, of reasoning in terms of psychic interpretation, as you live, you re, you're supposedly reducing your karma, and also you're creating new karma. 
and hopefully it will be great karma, good karma, positive energy, transcendent energy. So as we live, we're doing two things. We're living to live, and we're living towards the process of dying. Every day, we, we slowly disintegrate as we advance forward. Because every advance we have in our body, every development we make, ultimately leads to ultimately leads to decay and death. Now, as we live on the psychic plane, we're reducing our karma. It's the opposite. Hopefully, we're reducing our karma. Even going through it, we're reducing it. But simultaneously, our good acts and the things that we do on a transcendent level is increasing the journey of our soul. Maybe we don't have to come back nine times. But the idea is, is sort of the mirror reflection of physicality. You live to die, and in the soul, you die to live. And, and so in the process of dying, you are essentially advancing your soul, having gone through karma, to a higher plane of new created energy. And I think that's how most of us should actually look at life, that we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what you go through, consider it reducing karma. Unless you aggravated the system by creating a crime. I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, we can't say that's karma. We could say that's poor choice. If you're going to rob a bank, we can't say that's karma. That's poor choice. But, well, I but mean, the it, things I that happen to us that just spontaneously happens to us are the things that we kind of move into and discover that we're in trouble. That's karma. And, uh, but again, as you live through it, for whatever duration of time, or pain, or loss, if you keep your chin up and you do the right thing morally, you are essentially reducing the karma of death and increasing the karma of life. Well, I mean, that said, if you are born into a very dark karmic life and you become a sociopath because you're upbringing and then you murder people, I mean, that's karma. I mean, not to say that the person doesn't have a choice in no, making no, those decisions. The, the setup is karma. The, setup the choices is karma. we make, the choices we make in regard to the predicament we in is we not in. karma. It is, it is the, the ability to make choices, which comes from our higher mind. So you can't reduce that. There are people who grow up in extreme poverty and crime, and they turn out to be ideal citizens. Right. I agree. I understand that. But there. But but but. So are you are you saying? Oh no! Are you saying that? Are you saying that a person who is a sociopath because of deep child early childhood trauma? And I, I mean, I just don't know if you can say for sure that a person isn't coming down to murder someone. I mean, especially well, there, if it's there, like there are, there are there are examples of that in karma. Right. Yes. Yeah. But 
I'm not. I'm talking about the. I'm not talking about those isolated episodes. Oh. I'm talking oh, about okay. the general attitude. Differentiations. There's always going to be exceptions and faith and destiny. And right. Things that we are prone to do because of karma, but that's not the totality of what existence is all about. So if we take the essence of life and we try to rise above our circumstances, then we are actually defying the face of karma and changing it around into something higher. Take this example of uh, Oppen, uh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, where he, uh, he, he was a great physics uh, scientist. Uh, scientist and brilliant and he got mad at one of his instructors and he was decided to poison the, the guy by putting poison in his apple and and so he had this dark edge to him already before any sense of nuclear the nuclear bomb or yeah and let's talk about already had that that essence of he did in him now he he went back and retrieved the apple before it was actually an innocent party according to the film but uh still he had that attitude of destruction now well go ahead then he goes on to create the bomb and he does it in a great paradox that by destroying lives he'll save lives so they figure out the the ratio of deaths to life and what it means because they've already defeated germany japan was not giving up so they calculated what the risk would be did their testing bomb and then went ahead and green lighted the in the Manhattan Project that green lighted the uh, dropping of the bomb and even though it caused massive suffering of innocent people the configuration was well we'll stop the war and end up saving lives so this great paradox was occurring and after being one of the most important persons on the planet and being applauded and medals and everything then he's accused of uh, committing crimes against the nation by being a communist and leaking secrets to the Russians and being stripped of having high priority in secret projects but still being considered loyal. Like losing to, his uh, clearance, etc. So, security clearance. Well, so when, I, I mean, I, it wasn't clear from the film because I thought the film was so confusing, hard to follow, and for a story like that, it needed more of an arc a narrative line, sequence, order, and this was jumping back and forth between present and then past, and the scenes were, scenes were yeah, extremely I mean, short, the, the dialogue uh, wasn't great. It would be great to, to know the, his, his world and so you could... I did because it was all, do a it scan was, on Wikipedia as we watched the movie. Not at all linear. But, and the scenes were quick and, and somewhat rapid editing and... So when, a lot of just facial expressions, but uh, it, it, I mean, it, someone who knows his life probably wouldn't have trouble working through the plot as it was disassembled and reassembled. So what I wanted to mention is as I was watching the film, 
um, I had a lot of time to do a variety of things, one of which was look up his birth date, and he was born on 4-22-1904, and he was actually a 22-4, a 22-4, which, as we know, is a multiple of that dreaded 11. So yeah, he was a womanizer. Yeah, he was a womanizer, but he was also dark. I mean, in general, yeah, I mean, side, yeah. he had a dark side. Creating the, 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 I mean, the atomic bomb changed the face of humanity. I mean, he was very powerful. And that act, I mean, though you could say, well, you know, it would have happened in, you know, someone else would have created it. Doesn't matter. He did. He well, did. The great, in numerology, the great paradox of his life, is he, he he's, okay? So he's got a four, right? He has he's got a solid four. So there's an eight with power, right? Broken His up. Four is broken up in the two and two by twenty-two, and it's broken up in his master number, obviously, number. or a karmic number. And that's reflective in his twenty-two. In twenty-two equals four. So he has a twenty-two in his day and a four in his year, and his karmic number overall is twenty-two, and that equals four. So there's a reflection of those energies. Not to mention that the fours evolve power in some form and high intelligence. So he's got this attitude that he's a dichotomy of both being a high-minded, intellectual, brilliant scientist that is endowed with power but is infused with destruction and mayhem. And darkness. And we have the great dichotomy of life, which is the split the split personality of every human being. We all have dark sides and light sides and we, we, but when it gets to reach a peak of such brilliance and um, and accomplishment, when it's categorized as both amazingly accurate and beyond the realm of normal human intelligence, but is underlaid by, by a, 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 like a darkness of evil, we have the really crisis of civilized human beings because we just aren't going to be perfect, and neither is our world. So it, it does present that, and it's an interesting survey of, of the numerological code that he has, um, when you get into the idea that he has two fours and then a 22, which is a four, that becomes a 12 or a three. So the cubular energy, the triangular energy, rather, because of that three, was also how they assembled the coating of the bomb. They were putting it in sort of triangular shapes that was... That was uh, harboring or containing the nuclear energy then and so it, and then it also became synonymous with uh, the bombing itself and three Wait, became three a that, number. Yeah, the shape of it was yeah. atom bomb. I don't know, I always picture it as triangular. Um, it's interesting, in 1922, which it wasn't his karmic change, but 22 being significant in his number system, being that it's in the day and also the karmic number, um, 
he started Harvard College at, in 1922, but at his karmic change, he left Cambridge, which he um, apparently went to after his bachelor's degree. He was unhappy there, and he left Cambridge for the University of Gutten. What's my problem? Gutten, 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 I'm doing poorly with German today. Do you want to try it? No, go ahead. Just you, t- <laughs> you, 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 you slaughter the word. Göttingen, Göttingen, University of Göttingen, Göttingen. It's that G that's tripping me up. To study under Max Born. So that's what he did at his karmic change. Göttingen. Is that right? Yeah, it's change uh, 22, so that was in 1926. Uh, <laughs> are you having a stroke? <laughs> Hope not. Uh, uh, so, is that 1926 he had change? Right, he uh, did. Göttingen. Göttingen. Göttingen? Yeah. The, the umlaut is not a u, it's well, a u. Göttingen, Göttingen. So the I'm uh, gonna, what 1926? What happened with him? I just told you he left Cambridge to go to the University of Göttingen. Göttingen. Yeah. And he had a good time there. <laughs> good uh, time. Good time. So, but again, uh, we. It's interesting to 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 look at how his power yeah I'm right was split just like the splitting of the atom of course he had correspondence Goodingen 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 but if you look at it in in you know when they do the um, IPA. Gutungun is how it's pronounced. I mean, it's how it's the IPA Ooh, says. Gu, so, yeah, gu there, but tu, gutungun. Gutingen. Gutingen. Oh, is that he, guy doesn't know what he's talking. <laughs> he, he sounds like Willy Wonka. He's, he's saying it so fast. So, uh, probably because he doesn't know how to pronounce it, so he's trying to get it right. Gutingen. Gutingen. Gut. Gu is the word the umlaut is. I'm, I'm not. Gu. It's not gu. It's gu. The umlaut is a u so, sound. Anyway, so. So, uh, <sighs> when you look at this uh, division of energy, uh, he actually, uh, he, he, you know, his, because he's got an eight in his month and day, you've got to expect that there's going to be some position of power. Of power, but. But the, but the idea of the balance is, I mean, he had to balance, he had to actually find imbalance in physics to, to discover balance because he was talking about how gravity overwhelms mass and molecular structure and how it clashes into this great explosion. So he he actually took ideas that were considered to be illogical and recreated them in such a way that he he knew that this would develop into the greatest fireball, massive destruction that the world had ever known. 
And then he, he also rationalized on a spiritual level that this might be the very thing that would either end all of humankind and destroy the entire planet or be the brakes upon which we could stop developing weapons because now we've got now we got this powerful the great nuclear bomb. bomb that can destroy us so he just said let's jump to the chase develop this bomb and hopefully we'll be sane enough not to destroy our planet well it well he was in the thick of a moment the thickness of a moment because already germany had was invading poland and there was a war going on and they didn't want the Germans, they thought the Germans were developing something, perhaps the Russians, and they knew that if it was in the hands of Hitler, there would have been mass destruction. Well, I mean, he was scrutinized, though, after, the, after he created the bomb, and that it, the last part of the movie details that, and he's under, under all this uh, investigation because he was believed to be part of the Soviet party, that he was a spy, because one of the... Um, one of the people that was involved at this involved in the testing of the bomb or i don't remember exactly because i i very but he was a present yeah he was present when the bomb was being uh constructed or tested or whatever it was and then in the movie they tell oppenheimer that that person was a soviet spy then oppenheimer later gets accused of being a Soviet spy. So it's unclear if he really well, was a Soviet the, spy or not. Court there was some personal vindiction going on, and there was a mistaken belief that, what's it, the guy, Robert Downey Jr. Which I did not know that was Robert Downey Jr. until like, yeah, I think it was that Strauss. Halfway through the movie, because so, I, I was looking about, I mean, you know, I wasn't that engaged in the movie, so I was reading about the movie online while I watched. Uh, Einstein, it says something about... Uh, yeah, what was Einstein's the, role in this? I mean, you know, that was weird, too. This Einstein, who was in the movie very little, it was unclear on what his role really well, was in this. He was taking... Because he, it wasn't about him. It was about... No, I understand it wasn't about him, but he was in the movie. So there was some he was involvement. Kind of a, he, well, he somewhat opened and closed the movie, if you will, because he was... The, father of relativity and the splitting of the atom and he, he his work was carried forth and then they had this short short philosophical base that perhaps we had introduced the destruction of the planet and and then in our advancement of science and physics we also discovered that we can destroy ourselves entirely not only ourselves but the entire planet so there's this great moral ambiguity that went on in the advancement of knowledge and science that everything has a tag that costs ultimately the idea of death. I mean, if we if we let well enough alone and we don't say a word, Paul Sagan will come in and say billions of years from now the sun will burn out, and so it's going to happen anyways. Or the gravitational pulls will be so far, far apart that we'll just implode if we don't burn out. Or the great meteor will come. The great asteroid will come. I mean, there's always something. There's always something. The sensation of, of life that we have to be, that we have to look at. So what is, when it comes down to our, our narrow vision 
what is the extent, duration, time, essence of an individual life? Here we are on an individual level, and maybe most of us aren't preoccupied with the idea of how long the planet's going to last. We're more concerned with our own personal life and how we conduct business and what positions of diplomacy or contradictions or controversy or good and evil, light and dark, we experience as we move through life and, and try to make the most of it, knowing that inevitably we're going to die. That's the, one of the great personal questions, which brings up you know, the idea of spirituality and religion and the belief in God or existentialism or atheism or whatever, whatever forces you, one believes to be either empowered within oneself, and that's what it is, and we're just part of the cosmos, or whether we believe or give homage to something higher than what we are. Whether it's the vastness of space or God or Buddha or whatever it may be. So, but we have to look ultimately at the molecular structure of who we are on an atom-based level, A-T-O-M. Yeah, I, not on an A-D-A-M-based no. level. So you Atom by atom. I mean, we are just, think of it, what we're made of. We're molecules, we're cells, we're organs. And we're water. We're bones. We're you know, and then what, what brings it all together is the human brain. Or not. Or not. <laughs> or but, not. But then what compiles that then are emotions and thoughts and feelings and intelligence and accomplishments and destruction, whatever it may be. So we've got this complex network of energy. Okay. Now, in our world, you know, we try to phantom out. Fan- phantom. Because we work what? with phantoms. Why are you saying? Yeah. We try, we try to discover the existence of human beings by higher sources, by something outside of ourselves, whether it's ghosts, spirits, God, angels, numerology, whatever psychic vibrations. I mean, we're, we're trying to derive, in a sense, an idea of the science of physics. We're taking the abstractions that we can't really see. People go to psychics because they want a psychic to tell them what they can't see. And then they want it to be put in concise, in a concise formation of words that make sense or that mean something. So first there's the establishment, oh, the psychic knew all about my life, all the things I could prove. Oh, that's great. So we advance forward into what happens in the in the element of timelessness, in, in the things that we can't record at the moment, in the things we don't know, how do you stretch forward and look into the future? I mean, it's a difficult task to try to take an abstraction that can't be proven until time meets up with it and considers it a true statement. So you're dealing, the psychics are the great abstraction of the mind. They're trying to work with something that is not necessarily readily available. But that is the essence of existence. Because as we move forward, a a psychic could say, well, you're going to die. Of course I'm going to die. 
we're all going to die. So what makes you a psychic? Well, you're going to die when you're 48 and you're going to fall off a mountain. And you won't be able to stop it. Now, how does that come out to be the nuclear bomb? What, what arrangement of science? That's why scientists will say, well, scientists, what, what's your formula? It, you know, so you're intuitive. Yeah. But, but, okay, so we'll give you 10%. But we can't base scientific logic on intuition w- without considering the abstractions that are involved that can't be proven. But science, I mean, there's, there's plenty in science that has been disproven, that has once well, sure. been, 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 been said to be factual or, you know, fixed. So. Yeah, we, as we advance forward, you know, with Benjamin Franklin and Darwin, and, and we look at some of the facts and we discover that, you know, it wasn't a ghost that caused the clouds to burst. And we look at the science of life, not denying what science has proven, but considering its facts and figures, it's hard to really test. The only thing a psychic has is time. Because a psychic can't prove their their premonitions until time catches up with their vision. So, So what is on the psychic side? Time. No formulas. Nothing. Someone can calculate. Einstein used to be able to calculate doing his sailboat, how close he could come to another sailboat by measuring the velocity, the speed, the wind. And he would amaze his fellow sailors with how close he could come to a boat before he turned and disengaged from his course. Without hitting the boat. calculate. Right. He was calculating. Um, but Einstein, with all his knowledge, Oppenheimer, with all his knowledge, can't tell you the future outside of scientific logic or calculation. So our psychics, that's why they're so elusive. What are they basing their knowledge on? So we get into what you would say is we get into the cosmic consciousness. That there's something in our brain that has a cosmic element to the universe, and there's some sort of order in the universe that is predicting fate. So does that mean that uh, that you know whether it's Zeus or whether it's God or whether it's the archangel or whatever it may be, or whether it's just the sense that there's something in the psychic brain? the cosmic brain that is connected to the universe in such a way that you don't have to noun it. You don't have to make a noun out of it, a name, a figure. You just say it is the element of tapping in to a vibrant force that is out of our realm that has some predicated sense of logic for the earth. And you can then individualize it in such a way that you can be specific and get down to the essence of an event. So we, we tend to go to psychics because we get this big, big, flat color in front of us. 
Oh, the psychic said I'm going to meet Robert and have three children. Oh, my God. You know, but how did the psychic see that? They saw it. They felt it. They heard it. From where? What, what book? What paper? What word? Nothing. It's paper. So, you know, to, ultimately, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Because we don't really know the outcome. The question was asked, would you hire Oppenheimer today knowing who he is, but at the time you thought he was a moral man, had integrity? Would you hire him today for a top-secret work? And the colonel said, I, back then, yes. Today, no. Because he now has a history that has become that has polluted, formed into a fact or, or a calculation. So we don't really know as much as we know. We have to consider what we don't know, and it's always going to be an interplay. As we live, we die, and so it is never the ultimate solution. Maybe those who have crossed over have it. And maybe psychics think that they're connecting to something out there that's telling them, oh, there's a big light out there, and you, oh, it's so peaceful, and, you know, you just get to live with everybody, and it's wonderful. How do we really know that? We can't prove it. So we get into the idea of belief, which is one of the greatest abstractions of the human mind. Who cares what you believe? You can't prove it. I don't care. Who cares what you feel? Who cares what anything? Because you can't prove these things, but yet they're tangible. They're real. One can experience it. So we, we move into our world of personal conviction. And that's essentially when we get back down to the idea of what a psychic is. Well, a psychic believes what they see, and their logic is being psychic. They happen to know. But, again, that word know is up for grabs. Well, it's up for grabs, but, I mean, it's also about a track record. You know, you can call yourself psychic. I could call myself a, you know, a lot of things. But it doesn't mean that I am those things. So being psychic and someone knowing has to be, accompanied by a track record of accuracy. Well, sure, there's got to be a track record. And, uh, uh, you know, psychic is credible if they prove to be right. Right. I mean, so that's that's, that's but, the first you know, thing. Are some of us born to, to, to have a gift for chance? We're just lucky. You mean lucky in the predictions? Yeah. I mean, a scientist might say, well, you know, I can take anybody and they're going to be 40 to 50% correct with 10 questions. Right, you know, but... The ratio of guessing. Yeah, but when you're getting outweighs. into uh, the ratio of guessing, but I, well, when you're getting... The only thing about know. a psychic is they get specific. Yeah, the specific, that's what I'm talking names. about. The specifics, the names, and someone could say, well, that's guessing too, but that's it's not... It's honestly not a guessing game when you're tapping into someone's energy and you're producing events name specific specifics about those events um, and you're able to 
start to piece together a narrative about that person's life with those with those hits that you're getting. I, I mean, that's not random. Well, you know, and at the same time, I mean, the amazing Randy, who who had, was somewhat linked to psychic phenomena, put out the challenge at the same time that said, "I will if if any psychic can pass my test, I'll give them what a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars." And no psychics would venture a volunteer to 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 do his test. Well, you're probably, I mean, being, doing his test, you're probably walking into a lion's den. I don't think that, you know, he's going to find some way, someone like him would find some way to disprove any credible psychic. Well, the, the, you see, the, the fact, it's, it's difficult for a psychic to be put up to some sort of conviction because a, psych, a psychic it has, a, it has a certain delicacy of, of interpretation. And it's not something you can just put under a light and say things. I mean, maybe, maybe there are some psychics that can withstand the scrutiny of, of thorough uh, interrogation and say things that are accurate continuously. But for the most part, psychic, the psychic ability is a fine thread and you have to appreciate it for what it is without scrutinizing how accurate it may or may not be. If, if a psychic has proven to be accurate in, in, in numerous cases that were beyond human reasoning or calculation, then you could say, I approach this psychic knowing that it's not an, an absolute science. But there's an advantage to this, and where it's coming from is still, I'm willing to take the risk. So the amazing Randy who says, well, a a psychic is only correct 100% of the time, is not really understanding the intensity of being a psychic. Right, well, that would say, yeah, and uh, is a scientist right 100% of the time? Do every scientist's theories work out? No, exactly. Doctors certainly aren't right 100% of the time. We have a question from the peanut gallery here. Um, What what is this question? I I think we need some clarification, Jennifer. What if Oppenheimer were trans? Would you hire him then? Well, I wouldn't have hired Oppenheimer anyway because I'm not involved in that world. So, I mean, I don't get the question. Well, if he were trans, his sexuality, what, what if he were adult, if he did commit adultery, would you hire him? I mean, he, he did, which he did. If he was into pornography, would you? Who ca- I mean, really, who cares? We're not, his, 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 his ability to understand physics and to create nuclear bombs is not based upon his vagina or his penis. And I want to add, I want to add, being trans is not about a moral compass. That's just a condition of of someone's psyche or their body. But someone who's an adulterer, which he was, and didn't prevent him from getting hired, that's a question of morality. So, I mean, if we're getting into scrutinizing why somebody is going to be hired or not hired. I would be less likely to hire him as an adulterer than if he were trans, if I was in a position to do so. However, that shouldn't bear weight on whether he is, uh, you know, capable in his field. 
whether he commits adultery or not, that's not for, unless it starts to affect, bye, affect his, oh, Neil had asked if you would hire Oppenheimer in today's day and age. It was a joke. We're taking it too seriously. It's well, hard no, to take was, seriously that through text. Movie, uh, whether he would, Oh, whether the colonel would, oh, hire, the colonel would hire him in the day and age. Yeah. Um, and it was in the movie at that, in yeah. that time scheme where well, he know, was questioned. Question is, well, now Trump says, I can go and kill somebody on Main Street or whatever he said and get away with it. So should we hire this man making that kind of statement? No, no. And, you know, he's raped women. I mean, so having affairs versus you know, actually attacking women and sexually assaulting them is we're in different departments. How you live your life in your personal life is one thing. And if you're not conducting it in a moral way, yes. I mean, there, it, it can, I think, I, it can have some bearing on whether you're appropriate for a certain position or not, yeah. like president. But then when we get into sexual assault, that's a crime. Well, the thing that I appreciate about uh, numerology is <laughs> no, that nothing. it's the most logical part of being a psychic that I can experience. Everything else is a distortion of logic. Being a psychic is a distortion of logic. There's nothing logical about being a psychic. Now, the groundwork using numerology, I've done readings with scientists and doctors and whatnot, and they might wink and smile at my psychic premonitions but they're they winking think, and smiling yeah, at you they're, they're oh trans. inappropriate but they don't, <laughs> but they, don't um, they don't really consider it credible they, they find it intriguing there might be some element of mystery that coincides with accuracy but they don't really consider it viable to the logical mind when I introduce numerology to these individuals, then they start to listen because now there's something well, concrete, yeah, concrete that they, that they can, can look at and there's a formula and they can, they start to raise their eyebrows and go, and I've noticed that and experienced them saying, hmm, now that's a little bit more logical. Now, how far would you think, I mean, you estimate their, their eyebrows would be raised? Well, yeah, in, in millimeters, about, about an inch lower than yours, uh, <laughs> since you're being sarcastic. <laughs> what, are you calling idea, me a, uh, <laughs> what is it? A low I a chromagnon? You had chromagnon? In your head until I discovered it was your eyebrow. Chromagnon. But no, I mean, you know, we're going to wrap up here because yeah, we don't wrap to have any callers. But uh, but anyways, it's a worthy of discussion. Maybe in the archives, somebody can. Listen and, and benefit and, from and it. Make, make oh, goody. Yeah. Okay. Well, we appreciate Chad, the chatter we had. Chatter. Hada, the chatter. Jennifer used to call herself Hada when she was a kid, when she was a baby. Hada. And so that's now her name in chat. It's cute. Um, the Mad Hada. The Mad Hada. So we're back on air on, on Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific. That's right. At a regular time, hope you join us then. Bye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.